You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be taking a break starting August 5th through Friday, August 26th, when I will return with an interview with Chris Kander, author of A Gracious Neighbor. This is a great time to get caught up on any past episodes that you haven't had time to listen to yet. And if there's one that you particularly enjoy, please share it on social media. It really helps me find new listeners when that happens. So thank you in advance. In addition, if you're caught up on all of my episodes, I would love for you to join my Patreon group if you're looking for more fun book conversations. I have all sorts of bonus episodes there, plus a newsletter and a Facebook group. I'd love to have you. Today, I am chatting with Zibby Owens about her new memoir, Bookends. Zibby is an author, podcaster, publisher, CEO, and mother of four. She is the founder of Zibby Owens Media, a privately held media company designed to help busy people live their best lives by connecting to books and each other. The three divisions include Zibby Books, a publishing house for fiction and memoir, Zcast, a podcast network powered by Acast, including Zibby's award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, and Moms Don't Have Time To, a new content and community site, including Zibby's virtual book club. She lives in New York with her husband, Kyle Owens, of Morning Moon Productions and her four children. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Welcome, Zibi. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Cindy? I am great, and I'm so glad you're back on the show, and this time to talk about your memoir, Bookends. I cannot wait to talk about it. Yay! <laughs> well, first, congratulations. You must be thrilled to pieces. It's out in the world, and having such a wonderful response, that has to be such a nice feeling. It is. It's really wonderful, especially after all this time. Absolutely. Well, why don't you start out with telling me a little bit about Bookends for those that won't have read it yet? Sure. Bookends is my deeply personal story about some of the bigger plot twists that happened in my own life. And as I tell my story, I weave in the books that I was reading at all the different times of my life. And then at the end, I include a little reading list. But it covers grief, loss, food issues, friend issues, marriage, divorce, motherhood, careers, falling in love again at 40, and at the very end, sort of starting my new business and, and publishing this very book. So it's sweeping, but it, it goes quickly. A lot of people have been saying they read it in a day or two. It's like sitting down and chatting with a friend for coffee because I just basically tell you my story. And it also is inspiring. I The, the intention was to inspire, and that's been what I've been hearing too in that life is short and we can all pursue our own paths and it's never too late 
And my life is sort of an example of that. And and that's bookends. And never too late on several fronts, on your personal front, relationship-wise, and also business-wise, deciding what you're going to do and what your career path is going to be, not immediately out of college or business school, but later. Yeah. I've tried so many jobs over the years. I mean, (laughs) I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but the path to being a writer is often a, a circuitous one. And I tried many jobs. I stayed home with my kids for 11 years. And then I eventually started this whole enterprise later. But, you know, I've been through a lot of iterations, as I'm sure many people have. Well, and I think the thing about finding what you love a little bit later in life is that you have gone through so many other things. So it looks very different probably when you launch it now than if you had launched it right out of school. Oh, for sure. I mean... I know who I am now. I know what I love, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. It's this feeling of like a gear clicking into place, right? When things suddenly feel like you're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing and work doesn't feel like work. I mean, sometimes it does because it's overwhelming, but the content of what I do every day is something that I absolutely love. And it's very different than when I sat in a cubicle and you know, (laughs) abided by somebody else's schedule and did tasks that I wasn't as excited about or I didn't believe in the mission as much. Now this is a very mission-driven business and I just, it's consuming me because it's so much fun. But I think what you said about it being a passion and loving it, I don't think you would totally get that or appreciate that, or at least I know I wouldn't have when I was a lawyer for a long time, then I was home with my kids. Now I'm like, okay, I'm doing something that I absolutely love. And I don't know that I would have appreciated that if I had done that first thing. That's true. I think people don't always end up doing things that they love. And so once you do, you're like, wow, I am very lucky. And it makes it so much easier to do that job. So let's talk about writing a memoir. Writing a memoir involves your story, but it also wraps in others as well. How did you handle that? It varied depending on the person. My immediate family, I shared everything with them and they gave me some corrections when I needed it. And some of them had different thoughts. I mean, my brother like really did not want to be in the book at all. (laughs) So (laughs) so I, I only put in a couple of scenes with him and made sure he approved. I didn't really mention my kids and, uh, tried to keep some areas out of the book. And for my good friends, I showed a bunch of people the book in various stages, not every single person, but enough that I had no worries. By the time it came out, there should be no surprises. I've always wondered about that when people are writing memoir, because most of the book is your story. However, you do have to wrap in other people unless you've lived a completely solitary life. So how you do that and how you handle it and how people respond is always completely fascinating to me. It is. I always wonder this about other people when they write write memoirs too. Absolutely. I guess in my case, especially being mindful of what other people have gone through and how they've answered my question about this very same thing. I made sure to reach out to people. and But also even in the writing, in one draft, I wrote a lot knowing that I was going to take some out, but I had to get it all down and then I could whittle it out. I I cut about 30,000 words very close to publication, just a little surgical extraction. And and that's fine. You know, it's 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 better to just get it down and cut it out, I think, than edit in your head as you go. That was actually one of my later questions for you, was whether anything had come out eventually that had started out in the book. Oh, yeah. Lots has come out. Lots (laughs) has come out. I mean, there's so much. uh, So much has come out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
You're like, and that's all I'm going to say about that's it. That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> that's why it came out, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I love that a book title opens each chapter. Was it really hard to decide which book would open which chapter? And how did you decide on that concept at all? No, it wasn't hard to decide at all. And that wasn't even my initial idea. First, I just wrote the whole book. And then once I was closer to publication is when I started doing all these what I consider more bells and whistles of it and structure tweaks. Once I got the chapters down, first I just had numbers. And then I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I titled each one a different book? And then I even kept rearranging chapters till almost the very end. And so one of the last things I did was the was the chapter titles. And it just seemed pretty obvious to me which ones I should do because I don't know why. It just for each chapter it just kind of jumped out at me which book I should use as the title. And then the very last thing I did after the well not the very last the next to last thing I did after I got all the chapter titles was I realized that I had exactly as many parts of the book as as were letters in the word bookends and so I decided to title each part B O O K E N D S which I thought was really cool cuz I love things like that and then my very very last thing after those was to go through each chapter and make sure that I loved the beginning and ending sentence of each chapter. And I often rewrote them because I think those beginning and endings are extremely important in sort of hooking people and keeping them reading and are just super important. So I, that was, but that was like the last thing I did. That's so interesting that that's the last thing that you did. And I completely agree with you, especially on the intro sentence to new chapter. You really do want it to hook everybody. Yeah. So it sounds like it was a little bit hard to decide how to organize it. It wasn't hard to decide how to organize it. I just, it was organized. It just didn't have headings and chapters. But the chapters themselves were not hard to organize because I mostly organized them by scenes. When I started writing, that's what made this project seem more (laughs) accomplishable, shall we say. Than just the idea of you know hundreds of empty pages spooled out waiting for my words to arrive. Instead, I thought about it like which scenes do I des- definitely need in this book, and then I wrote those scenes, and most of those scenes turned into chapters. I've always thought it would be so difficult to sit down with just an empty white page. It sounds like that's a problem for many authors. I mean, that's something I hear a lot on my podcast, and I know you hear the same on yours. So organizing it into smaller chunks is probably a great way to address some of that. Yeah. And when I started, I had to put in big letters in like 70-point font, no one will read this but me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just, I felt so initially paralyzed at the thought that I've been writing my whole life, but knowing it would be turned into something that people would read was was much more frightening than toiling in obscurity and hoping that eventually someday someone would read it. And I also think sometimes just getting words down, regardless of whether they're good or bad initially, is half the battle because then you can edit and edit and edit. So you just have to have something to edit to begin with. Yes, you're absolutely right. So you have an amazing recollection for what you were reading when. Do you keep a record of your reading or do you just have an absolutely amazing memory? So many times I do remember what I was reading in a certain situation and it just, that's how I associate it in my mind. But there were many others that I couldn't remember what I was reading at first. And so I had to go back and either look all over my, in my library, in my parents' library, and 
figure out what I could possibly have been reading. And sometimes I just had to Google the year and like, what were the top 1000 books that came out that year? And then I could look at the title and be like, oh, right. That's when I was reading The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, right? So I, I remember exactly where I was when I read that. So it, sometimes it worked backwards. I wondered because I love to read, obviously, and read a lot. But I don't think I could reconstruct my life around what I had read when. But doing what you did would be a great way to do it. Okay, what came out what year? Oh, yes, I did read that book. And I do remember where I was when I read it. Because if not, I mean, I can't even imagine trying to reconstruct that. Yeah, I did my best. I mean, these are pretty much, I mean, a lot of them, though, I, I mean, I really did remember, but not all. I, I definitely had to go back and, and see what I might have been reading. And then I remembered. Yeah, fill in the gaps. Fill in the gaps, yeah. You've had more than your fair share of loss. Was writing the book cathartic? Did you feel like it helped you cope and come to terms with some of that? Which obviously some of the losses were a while ago, so you had already been dealing with them. But did the book help? Yes, the book helped. It helped to, every time I write about loss, particularly the loss of my best friend, Stacy. every time I write about it, it helps. It's like this compulsion almost. Like the more I, I, I write to understand the the most ununderstandable thing that can that we have on on earth right i write to process how someone can disappear from the face of the planet and how nothing is actually permanent despite what we think and feel so my writing about that helps me every time and for the other losses it was interesting to me to write i've been writing them since they happened but now at age 45 to think of how young i was right? like i didn't feel that young at the time I felt so grown up that I was off in business school. I was 25, but I have a new understanding of myself then. Now that I have 15-year-old twins, like 25 is not so far off in a way. And thinking about, you know, if this had gone, if this had happened to my my kids or anyway, I, I had a new understanding, a sort of a new level of compassion for myself and and an awareness of like, well, yeah, it set your life on a new path. And yeah, this all makes sense. So it helped. Well, I think you're referencing how you felt old at the time, but you now realize you really weren't, is something we deal with our entire lives. Like you, at 25, you know, you feel like I'm so old and I know what's going on. And at 35, I'm so old and I know what's going on. And it just continues. And then you look back and think, wow, you know, I've lived double that now. Yep. It is crazy. <laughs> and adding kids in even completely furthers that because I feel like like my oldest, who's 21, seems so old now. But, you know, when she was six, when she was 10, when she was 14, every age, I thought, oh, she's so old. And I look back now and think oh, she was so young. So it's just one of those perspectives as you age. It's true. It's true. So one of the things that I was so curious about as I was reading your book was that you mentioned consulting mediums several times. Is that something you do regularly? And do you believe that they really are able to talk with people who've passed? I, I do actually, I do believe that. I didn't used to, but because of these sessions, and by the way, it was not a plan. I didn't go seek out a medium. What happened is that I was at a dinner with Kyle and his mom, actually, before she passed away. And this woman, Vicki Emanuel, was at the dinner and I happened to sit next to her and it wasn't a session then. It was just a meeting. And she could tell me everything about even my kids, what foods they should be eating, my dogs, like my dog rather. She, my, I mean, she, the things that she could intuit from me without my telling to her, which, which couldn't have been 
researched anywhere blew my mind. And I was like, I need to have a session with you. Like, (laughs) we have to do this for real. We can't just chit chat at dinner. So I booked a session with her and it was my first session ever with a medium. I guess I, I guess I guess that's not 100% true. In college during one of our spring fling fairs or something at, outside they had a like a psychic sitting there and I remember going to that psychic uh you know it was free everybody just popped in and out. I I was like, "Will I ever meet a guy? Like, will I ever meet the love of my life or what something like that?" And she said, "You'll meet him at a sporting event." Oh, wow. Yeah, so I kept that in my mind for a long time. And then I actually met an old boyfriend of mine at a lacrosse game. We were watching our younger brothers play lacrosse. So when I met him that way, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what she meant, this lacrosse game. But then I actually met Kyle on the tennis court. So I was like, maybe she meant that. (laughs) But anyway, so that was the first time. And then I had the session with the medium where she told me all these things about my friend Paige who passed away and... And it, I just, it just blew my mind. And I've since then, yeah, I did a, I did a podcast actually with Laura Lynn Jackson, who wrote a book called Signs. And yeah, I just totally buy into it now. I totally buy into it. And it's actually a comfort. It's, it's a huge comfort. When I was younger, I was like, I wish I believed in all this stuff. That would be nice, but I don't. But now I actually do. I, I think there are signs all around us. I think that the universe is sort of involved. I'm sounding a little woo-woo here, I realize, but I, I think there is something bigger than us at play here. I completely agree on the signs, and I've always felt that way. And I feel like sometimes also things happen for a reason or things show up when they're supposed to. But I've never thought about consulting a medium. And as I was reading your book, and then you were talking about the podcast interview, I thought, hmm, I wonder if that's something, as I've had loss in recent years that are you know very important people to me, maybe I should try that. Yes, you should. It's really worthwhile. And you know, the people don't always come out when you want them to. Right? When I like when I saw one medium, I really wanted to talk to to my friend Avery and she's like, "No, Avery's not available right now." <laughs> You're like, "Where is she?" <laughs> she's like, "But is Kyle there right behind you? You know, because uh, his grandfather's coming in right now." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll go get Kyle." <laughs> so it's it's sort of a more fluid communication system. It's not it's not perfection. Yeah, it's not going to be what I expect as a type A person. Like, here we are. This is who I want to talk to. Make them show up now. Exactly. It was pretty close, though, but not not totally. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. I'm really going to have to think about it. And then how you go about finding a medium who's actually not a fraud. Yes. Well, I really, I recommend this woman, Vicki Emanuel, who I saw. Kyle saw her. Kyle's mom had seen her. Kyle's sister. I mean, she's, she's good. Anyway, her name is Vicki Emanuel, so I would check her out. I definitely will. Thank you. So you have interviewed hundreds upon hundreds of authors. Do you feel like that influenced your writing of this memoir? And does it influence your other writing as well? A hundred percent. Yes. Not only the interviews themselves, but the books and reading all those books. Um, even if I've only skimmed some some of the books or not read every single word or whatever, analyzing the structure and being in all of those books in some way, shape or form, and then hearing the author's thoughts about process and structure and format and outlining and everything, it all helped. I've definitely become a better writer since reading so much. And I used to read a ton to begin with, but reading in this much more active way has has really helped. And I mean, this is, this is also going to sound crazy, but 
I write on Instagram every single day. I mean, pretty much every day. And sometimes I write these long things and go to the caption limit length. And sometimes they're shorter, but I've made writing something I do literally every day. Uh, Whereas I used to just write articles every so often. And I think all of it has helped. I think reading great writing, analyzing what I like and what I don't like, it helped a lot. It really did. And analyzing what you think works and doesn't work. Yes. And now I can really tell like, oh, this should have been cut out or we didn't really need this here or (laughs) what a shame they did this or I would have done this this way. Sort of more on the editorial side of things. So yeah, I'm very attuned to what works and what doesn't work. So as soon as I write it, I can't do it as I'm writing. I know some authors do that. And I do, I guess I do a tiny bit, but I basically, you know, refine and keep going almost like a runner tying their shoes, right? You just tie them quickly and keep going. That's sort of how I, how I write. But then I go back and, and do a lot, of, a lot of surgical work. I like that analogy of the runner and tying the shoes. Thank you. I just came up with that. <laughs> well, good. Very spur of the moment. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, you have struggled with anxiety and depression for a lot of your life. It sounded like from the book. Do you have advice for others who struggle with the same? My advice is to get some help, get some treatment, find a therapist you like. Also, my advice is to write. I really find writing to be a a therapeutic tool. Um, I know you had asked about the the memoir in general, but even the the everyday of of writing helps, not just for public consumption, but, but for myself. I am a fan of medication. I think that can help. I think it can take a while to find the right one for you. And there should be no shame in in taking something that you need and that makes your life better. Reading helps. All of it helps. Um, Finding the things, exercise, regular exercise, and just being aware and being knowing that there's nothing wrong with it, right? Like this is just the way everybody's born with some stuff, right? Like I have, until recently, I had perfect vision, but did I, you know, do I worry every minute like do I fast forward to my imminent death like every day? <laughs> I, I do, I do. I don't know why. I should stop. Do I change my plans incessantly because I'm always trying to come up with some better way and like do my thoughts spin a lot? They do. But as I'm I, I'm trying to see the benefits of that and the awareness of it I think really helps um as opposed to having any kind of shame about it. Well I think the awareness on two levels. One, just being aware that, that you are struggling with anxiety or depression or whatever the issue is, and then also realizing that there is no shame in it, you know, addressing it and then or naming it and then addressing it and then realizing almost everyone is struggling with something like that right now. I mean, in the past, many people were, but I think the last several years have been so brutal that we're all struggling with that kind of stuff now. Yeah, I agree. I think there's been a destigmatization of mental health issues and that people understand that just because you can't see them like you could a cast on a leg or, you know, a scratch on an arm or whatever, doesn't mean they're no less involved and no less hurtful to the person experiencing them. I agree. I'm actually, I'm on the board of the Child Mind Institute and part of their mission is reducing the stigma behind childhood mental illness. And they have a whole My Younger Self campaign every May. And it's all these famous people being like, you know what? I have anxiety. I have depression. I have dyslexia. I have whatever. And just being able to talk about it, which I think really helps. 
I think so too. And with the way social media just completely has taken over everyone's lives, especially teenagers and tweens, for those people who are more prominent to get out there and say those things and talk about it on platforms where the kids are going to see them has to be so incredibly helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. You use the term book messenger in your memoir, and I loved that term, that you do so many wonderful things for the book world. Do you have a favorite? I love all of it, but I really love my podcast. I, I love reading the books and talking to the authors. It's, it, I, I just adore that. But I, I, li- I love it all. Just that connection over books and the intimate conversations that I get to have every week. I love it. I just love it. And developing those relationships. That's one of the things that I've loved so much about it is just talking to so many different authors, finding so many books I would not have read, but for the podcast, but also just like you said, having intimate conversations. It's like the only thing I do where I don't allow in any other distractions, right? When I'm, when I'm doing a podcast, I have to focus so hard on the conversation. I can't miss a minute. I can't miss a beat. I am always like in it. And so I'm not worrying about anything else. I'm not worrying about the emails or the phone, or I'm not taking a minute to check something else. Like I rarely even have a sip of coffee, right? It takes my full focus. And there's something very liberating about that, that you know, it's like how it used to feel to go on an airplane when you couldn't be distracted, right? There's something very comforting about that space and time and knowing that I have those minutes carved out on my calendar. Even though it's not about me, it's the conversation. For me, that is, that's almost like my self-care. I always say that about the movie theater as well. And I feel like we've been robbed of some of that with so many of these shows and movies now coming out streaming. Because you go to the movie theater and you put your phone on Do Not Disturb and you just for two hours blank everything else out. And I love that. And the podcast is the same way. But those times are so nice because you really can't be distracted by another thing. Yes. This, it's hard. Like our today's world is there's so much competing for our attention at every second. And it's hard to do one thing. I am often doing 10, ten different things at once. Uh, so the, the, the things that free us from that possibility, yes, planes, movie theaters, the theater, like Broadway. I don't know. Maybe it used to be like Temple, but <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I cannot take my phone out of Eric Temple. This is terrible. Yeah, those things are uh, they're they're liberating in their in their structure. Absolutely, allow you to just focus on one thing and let your brain rest. Yes. Well, let's talk about the title and the cover. Those are things I'm always so curious about. Did you start out with bookends as the title, or did that develop over time? And then tell me about the cover. Actually, the title used to be The Book Messenger, so I'm glad you uh, flagged that. But my publisher felt like that sounded too much like a novel, The Book Messenger. So we scrapped that, and it took forever to figure out the next title. I had so many ideas. I talked to everybody I knew. I had like just so many emails about it. And what about this? And what about that? And what about this subtitle? And what about that subtitle? And I mean, around and around and around for weeks. And then one day I was like, oh, bookends. (laughs) And then that was it. I love it. I think it's the perfect title. And that's why I was curious if you'd had it from the very beginning or if it was something that over time came about, but I think it works so well. Thank you. And what about the cover? The cover was also a little bit of a journey. 
the first version I got was illustrated. I really wanted a photograph. I felt strongly about – it's so funny because now as a publisher, I'm like, I cannot believe that I was so demanding as an author. But I had just this very strong vision of what I thought the book should look like. And the the first iterations were not at all that in terms of feel, look and feel, and even the colors of it. And and so my publisher was really nice and I got to talk to them. I even talked directly to the art director because I was like, let me just explain it. If I could just use my words, I just know <laughs> if I explain it the right way, then it'll look better. And then, um, so this is probably the fourth round of designs I got shown. And then I was like, yes, this, this is perfect. I love the blue. Was that your idea as well? Yes. I love blue. I, I love blue of all shades. And um, I really was hoping it would be blue. <laughs> I think you're in a unique position though, as a podcaster and all of the other book things that you do to have an idea of what your cover should look like. I mean, I think it's such an interesting question because I get such a spectrum of answers. Some authors are like, oh, authors have no say in the cover. And others are like, you are like, oh, I had an exact idea what I wanted. And I just kind of kept pushing until I got at least close enough to what I wanted or I got there. That's interesting all the way around. But I also think because of what you do, you would have a very, I don't know what the right word is. You would have a very distinct idea or, you know, a set idea of what you wanted and that they would be happy to listen to you about that. Yeah. I mean, again, as a publisher with working with different designers, we uh, I, I don't want to show the authors unless it's something that we really love. So yeah, it's a process. It's not easy. No, it's not. And then there are trends and things change and, and you know, talking about an illustrated cover. And I just think there are different trends and it's hard to know, like, are you in the middle of the trend or am I going to be at the tail end of the trend? Where Where am I in that? Exactly. And that was my next question, actually, was talking about trends. So you're usually kind of a step ahead of trends, launching your own publishing company, the podcast. How do you do that? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh out loud at that. Your sex talk. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you're the first one out there doing what you're doing. I don't know. I just have all these ideas all the time, and I often just do them. It can get me into trouble, that's for sure. But I just, I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. Or, oh, we should do that. Or, oh, this needs to be done. I just see it very clearly. I, I And then I just do it. <laughs> Sometimes I don't really, I mean, this publishing company is so much work. It's just unbelievable how much work it is. And I was like, I'll just figure it out. Like, that's sort of my thing. Like, yes, I'll do this and then I will figure it out. But I've realized there is a limit to that. <laughs> and uh you know, I, I don't know that I'm ahead of trends. All I do is see what I think comes next, and then I'm not afraid to try it. And as I was reading your book, I was thinking a lot about that because I've thought that about you in the past, that you really seem to get ahead of whatever it is and sort of even launch the trend, I guess. But with the business school background, that probably really helps because you have, as you talk several times in the book, a way of sitting down, okay, like, here's an idea. How are we actually going to tackle it versus, oh, here's an idea. That'd be fun and then having no plan to put in place. But instead, you've got a methodical way of looking at it. Okay, like, these are the steps we need to do. We need to think through all aspects of these things. And the business school background probably really helps with that. I like to think it does. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, all that time I spent there? I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, now for the toughest question of all, what have you read recently and loved? You know, I just read this book called The Perfect Other 
by Kaylee Letty, L-E-D-D-Y. It is so good. Hold on. The subtitle is, um, it's called The Perfect Other, A Memoir of My Sister by Kylie Letty. And it's beautifully written. It's about a, a woman. She's 23 when she writes the book. And it's about her older sister who was diagnosed with schizophrenia and ended up dying by suicide. But it's gorgeous. It's really about sisterhood, growing up, what happens when one person in the family is having some issues health-wise, mental health-wise, how that throws off the family dynamic. It's her search for herself. It's her recovery from that and from the threat of violence that from her sister, who she loved so much. It's fascinating. She weaves in a little medical stuff. I'm so impressed with, with this author. That sounds really interesting and very sad. It is sad, but I, I love stories about people getting through things. And this is about her getting through this. And we're like in it with her. So it's actually quite inspiring. And compelling, it sounds like. And compelling. And she happens to be a beautiful writer. Very lyrical. It's, she's a beautiful writer. I suspect this writer will go on to achieve many interesting things over the years. So if I had to put money on, on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything else? Anything else? Uh, what else have I finished? I keep recommending Nora Goes Off Script because I really loved it so much, but it's uh, that's probably my favorite summer read, a love story written by the narrator is just super smart and funny. And I loved that book about a, a divorced mom who gets into a new relationship, perhaps because I am a divorced mom who got into a new relationship. <laughs> um, but anyway, I loved that book too. I did too. I thought it was such a fun read and I've been telling everyone I know to read it this summer. Awesome. Well, Zibi, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Thoughts from a Page podcast and congrats again on your new book. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your taking the time to listen to my podcast. I want to quickly share about this wonderful company I am now partnering with. I am always looking for entities that promote and highlight books and recently came across book clubs, a company who provides all sorts of resources for established and new book clubs, as well as individual readers. My own personal book club recently signed up on book clubs, and the group has been impressed with all of the great tools the site and app provide. The book club's website is linked in my show notes and I hope you will check them out soon. Also, if you like my show, I would be so grateful if you would tell everyone you know about it and rate it on whichever platform you listen on. It truly makes a huge difference and really helps the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and that link is also in the show notes. I hope you will check out some other Thoughts from a Page episodes and have a great day.
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.